Welcome to The Label Podcast, a show about disability, illness and difference. I'm Lucy. And I'm Alice. And that's Don't forget in this episode, I might swear, Lucy might cry, and you can check out details of the trigger warnings on our website. Hello everybody, welcome to another episode of The Label Podcast. Uh, today is the final episode of our disability technology series. I can't believe that we finally got through it. It's been fantastic. But well it's done been everybody. A lot, <laughs> a lot of work. Uh, I hope that you're not sick of the sound of us um <laughs> i'm here with lucy hello there hello hi. everybody hi how are you <laughs> i'm good you yes i'm very relieved i mean i i love these spotlight series but i'm very relieved that i can have a little bit of a rest after this it's uh it's quite a lot isn't it of work but goes on behind Considering... i don't i don't know how people do episode podcast episodes every week it's just unbelievable considering that we it? started planning and preparing for this in july i yes. cannot believe that it's like it's still so much really intense work all of a sudden like, and we knew it... it was coming we were like <laughs> we will, we'll prepare ourselves we know it's coming it's fine but um yes so i'm fine thank you <laughs> i'm just uh, very tired <laughs> Uh, so our guest this week is Damien Williams. Um, Damien, would you like to introduce yourself and tell our listeners a little bit about what you're here to talk about today? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, hi. Uh, great to be talking with you today. Uh, my name is Damien Patrick Williams. I am an assistant professor of philosophy and an assistant professor of data science uh, at the University of North Carolina at Charlotte. Um, my background is in uh, kind of PhD in science and technology studies, also sometimes called science, technology, and society from uh, Virginia Tech. Um, I have a master's in uh, philosophy and religious studies. Um, my work tends to focus on the intersection of uh, human values and technology, specifically thinking about how marginalized lived experiences and perspectives you know, shape and affect technology, as well as being affected by and shaped by technology. Mm -hmm. So I think about like how uh, various human values, like uh, religious perspectives, or, you know, ways that people think about um, other cultures, how all of those things kind of shape how we then go on to, to train ourselves to think about science, to think about technology to build and design technology. Mm. And um, in particular today, um, a little bit of what I want to be talking about is how that plays out in uh, a lot of present day uh, technological spaces and everything from, uh, you know, how we think about uh, assistive technologies like um, artificial limbs, prosthetics, uh, but even things like uh, like algorithms and even in terms of things like when we think about space and the history of space travel and, and who gets to go to space and why. And how all of these things kind of tie together into this, this you know, they're, they're bound together in this history of marginalization of, of certain types of people being used for, but then excluded from being able to be a part of this technology. I'm yeah. so excited. It sounds so interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm such a nerd. But I'm like, yeah. We're all nerds here. I think here. Alice wants to go work for NASA. <laughs> we're, all we're all nerds here. It's great. It's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we kicked off this series by talking to a historian who specializes in uh, pre-modern prostheses. So uh, she talked to us a lot about the uh, the sort of people who lived at the intersection of uh, finding themselves requiring a prosthesis and having the money to be able to have a mm. prosthesis, which was obviously really interesting. And I suppose, you know, reflecting on, on the modern day, uh, prosthetics are generally more accessible, certainly in this country where we have something like the NHS. Um, 
those are the sorts of things that may well be provided if it's kind of a an absolute necessity um but i think that you know it sounds like your work is kind of really digging down into the way that these kind of life changing prosthetics and kind of technologies can be uh, almost what's the word i'm trying to look look for it's almost the i suppose it's a sociological and an economic um kind of i mean restrictions around those things isn't it yeah yeah and the, the, I was watching something on the telly the other day and my jaw dropped on the floor when the woman said she got a prosthetic arm. And, like, up until, sort of, I saw this thing on the telly, they'd got this thing where they put the sensors on the stump of the arm so that if you want to move your fingers, you move your stump in a certain way and the fingers move. But they got they built this arm and it got AI built into it. So basically, she just had to think, I want to pick that cup up. And it did it. And I was like, how, how, how? It's, it's like science fiction, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it's like, that is that is cool, but also quite, like, I was amazed yeah. um, the, at what technology can do these days. It's incredible. Yeah. Um, so, like, the, the majority of those kinds of, you know, those prostheses, you're looking at things that have um, some kind of brain-computer interface, um, some kind mm. of, you know, uh, a way to read neuroelectric impulses um, directly from uh, either the skin or, in some cases, they're, you know, transmitted um, actually, you know, transdermally. They're actually, like, implanted in a number of ways, the sensors. But sometimes you yeah. can just do a surface sensor and you can have, um, you know, electrical controls and the same kinds of stimulations that you would have when you think. When you, I mean, you don't even really actively think, I would like to pick up the cup, right? Like, you don't have that. No. You have an intention and you have um, a motor control and all of that is kind of, like, it's not even automatic. subconscious. It's, it, it is, mm, it is yeah. an automatic, you know, process that you just kind of, it's integrated with you. And so mm-hmm. those impulses and those, you know, I guess, uh, intentionality states can be read as electrical signals and potentialities through the body. And they've done a lot of work in training you know, the sensors that prosthetics use to be able to read those kinds of electrical potentials. There is, however, a problem wherein those kinds of very refined prosthetics oftentimes are not accessible financially in a way that we were just talking about right like there is that there's that barrier so one of the this is you know this is me speaking out of a, a united states context so i just want to caveat that United States medical insurance, I don't know if you're aware, not exactly great as a system. <laughs> um, so certain things that people need to live lives are not always covered by insurance. Certain yeah. types of wheelchairs, certain types of prosthetics, certain types of other assistive devices are not always necessarily covered by uh, a person's insurance provider. And so the question of does this tool exist is a different question from is this tool accessible and available mm. Mm. yeah um yeah. and the idea that you know and that's a, and that then is even a separate idea and a question from do the users of this technology do the people who might use this technology actually want this tool in particular yeah Right. That's um, it. Sounds like the conversation that we had with us, doesn't it? Which was about um, what was it? Emotional recognition uh, AI technology. <laughs> right. Right. And we yeah, were just yeah. like, I, I don't think autistic people want this. I think non-autistic people think autistic <laughs> people want this. But also, as well, it's like you see pictures of like wheelchairs that walk up, up yeah. flights of stairs. Like I use a wheelchair, so and I look at them, I'm like, I d- just. Just put a ramp. Just put a ramp on it. Exactly. Just put a ramp. Exactly it. Just put a ramp on it. I don't need I, a chair. I don't want a chair though no, that climbs because it's quite frightening <laughs> right. to be up in the air and down and then up again and then it's not 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 nice. And, and once again, to to relate that back to the U.S. context, 
even if someone who uses a wheelchair does want, for whatever reason, maybe they're, you know, they have a sense of adventure and they want a chair that just, yeah. like, you know, jostles them around a lot and pulls them upstairs <laughs> in a weird way. I don't know. I don't know people's lives. But let's say somebody <laughs> actually does want that particular tool for whatever reason they want it. The categorization of that device might not yeah. simply be as a wheelchair anymore. No. It might exist the stair as, climber. as a stair climber or as a, you know, a small vehicle. And so yeah. the insurance and the licensing and the coverage of all of those categories are very different. Mm -hmm. And so yeah, how people completely. can have access to even that tool if they do want it. Again, who knows whether they're actually going to get covered for it? Who knows whether it'll be approved? Yeah. 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 And, I mean, it's it's not entirely dissimilar over here because I know, Lucy, you've talked about needing to pay for your own wheelchair because the standard NHS ones are just, just unbearably uncomfortable. Oh, it's a bone shaker. That's what I call it. It's just like you're just not supported and you're just moving around like a sack of potatoes. Yeah. In a, I mean... Arguably, I am a sack of potatoes in a wheelchair, <laughs> but <laughs> I'm a very compact sack of potatoes in a wheelchair at the moment. But yeah, they're just horrible chairs, and you think, well, I want to be comfortable. I sit in it all right. day, and 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 that's exactly kind of you know when it becomes a a social issue is that well, the people who can afford to buy a comfortable wheelchair yes. are the people who are in the economic situation exactly. where they can afford to buy a comfortable wheelchair i actually have a bank account that is just for like wheelchair new wheelchair and wheelchair repairs that's exactly that what i was about to say that's exactly what i was about to say yeah. if you don't have the economic means to just as needed on a whim go out and purchase the kind of chair you want you have to save for it you have to yeah, put yeah. out that money and set it aside in particular ways to be able to prep for that eventuality right mm, and yeah. then what you can get is you know very likely not going to have those kinds of capabilities of like warranty coverage where anything that goes wrong mm. is automatically going to get just taken care of by the manufacturer right like that's not bundled in you're gonna have to pay for that out of pocket and then anything else mm. that goes wrong after that anything maintenance or any updates that are required um chairs you know mechanical devices wear out over time they just yeah. do so you're eventually mm. going to have to replace something or repair something no matter what. Or replace the whole or thing. Or replace the yeah. entire device. Exactly. And yeah. so at a certain point, you know, how much money you can pay uh, is going to really determine the quality of thing that you can have access to, but also how often you have to be thinking about your device rather than simply mm. being able to live your life. Mm. You know, like it's the, yeah. it's the, the Terry Pratchett, you know, Vimes boots model, you know. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like how, how much yeah. money can you afford to spend um, to, <laughs> yeah, to have okay. a good pair of boots that last you forever so mm, that you don't yeah. have to spend that money on a recurring regular basis to just be able to yeah. live your life that gave me a like although we're talking about a very depressing topic that Pratchett <laughs> that just gave me a really warm like late teenage throwback <laughs> feeling uh, I just think I need to dig my kindle out and reread them all again if you could see over here on this side of my shelf you would see all of my Terry Pratchett uh, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah no it's it's one of those one of those problems where yes it is it's an economic barrier it's a social barrier it's a it's a problem of yeah. Uh, of access and also you know in the the construction and the design of the devices themselves you know, as we we're talking about how are they built how are they how are they designed how what, what structure and form do they take and does that actually meet the mm -hmm. needs of the people who are actually using them day in and this day is out the, yeah this That's, is the thing yeah. i can see i can see new technology i often look at new technology just when i want to really depress myself and go that looks so cool that looks that is, that would be like really useful and then I, <laughs> my brain goes how much is it going to cost you yep. Yep. it's going to cost you a small house right <laughs> like, right um oh no yeah literally that like, so um yeah my advisor uh ashley shu um my advisor from virginia tech and uh my collaborator and partner on a bunch of different projects currently um her work is specifically about looking at like um narratives of disability and disability and technology right and so she focuses on like the difference between how technology is sold to disabled people 
and how it's actually used by disabled people. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so she wrote a book um, that kind of encapsulates a lot of this. It just came out. It's called Against Techno-Ableism. And um, in the book, like in just right in the beginning, she talks about, you know, just a couple of various types of prosthetics and assistive devices. And I knew, I knew, because I know a lot of prosthetics users, I knew prosthetics were expensive. I know people who've had prosthetics that have cost upwards of like forty and $50,000 US. Jesus Christ. Crazy. But she Crazy. mentions one that she's aware of that, you know, a friend of hers like was being pitched by a company that would have yeah. run them a hundred thousand plus dollars that is literally the cost of a small fixer-upper house right like that is honestly yeah yeah literally a house like we've got um we have a disability expo over here in england Mm. it's probably the biggest in the country i go because of my work and my field my job and when i went as like just a disabled person who was wandering around to have a look and it's like uh, wheelchair accessible vehicles or wavs as they're called yeah. and then there was like um hoists that can get you in and out of caravans and there was caravans that you could get your wheelchair in with a wet room built in and you just look at the price list of all this thing and you think if i was a millionaire it wouldn't matter whether my legs worked or not right. because you could get everything yeah. just for you exactly but you call away and you feel like, I am so depressed and I am so poor. Right. Well, exactly. <laughs> like... what, what is the intersection of millionaire, billionaire, disabled and, and disabled? Right. Like, I yes. imagine, actually, that's a fairly slim yep. Very margin, very isn't it? Yeah, it is. yeah, yeah. I mean, even even thinking about, um, you know, when we think about the the models of and the various tropes of disability, right? And you think about the number of people uh, who get held up as like the, the inspiration porn about, you know, overcoming mm. disability and all of that. Um, you know, the number of uh, prestigious, I guess, or um, even just famous in the public eye disabled people yeah. is fairly low, right? And mm. so to knowing that fame does not always correlate to wealth (laughs) to then extrapolate that even further and say, there's probably not, there's not that many people who are going to be meaningfully disabled by the society in which we live, having accessibility issues that they need accommodated who are wealthy enough to not have to think about that. That's not a large number. And, and so my question then is, you know, I'm not saying that tech companies and stuff shouldn't be making stuff for disabled people, but I'm a little bit like I'm surprised anybody bothers because they, <laughs> I mean, I guess I guess that's the reason they set it? their their yeah, yeah they, the reason yeah. they set their prices so high is because there's only four people buying right. it, so it's you've got to charge a hundred thousand dollars. I always think it's a bit like going into an airport and buying a sandwich. Once you get past that gate, yep. they can charge you anything they like Whatever for that you need. sandwich because, <laughs> yeah, because it's like, yeah, yeah, you can't go anywhere else. I've got a flight to catch in 15 minutes. Right. I need a sandwich. That's right. You know, they could, you know, it's, it's, I always think it's like that, isn't it? That you can't, that you can't go anywhere else yeah. for this piece of kit. I, um, no, that's, that's exactly And there's it. nowhere cheaper. Yeah. No, that's, that's precisely yeah. it. And so once they do have you, you know, kind of stapled into that price right there's nothing that mm-hmm. you can do about it because as you said you need it you literally need it to yeah. live so there's yeah. this you know this constant framing of like okay so how do you afford it how do you get it covered how do you get you know can you survive on the bare minimum from mm-hmm. the nhs or can you actually afford to save up to get the tool mm-hmm. that you need or do you not have to think about it because you you know you're wealthy enough to just do whatever and you have whatever tools and accessibility that you need to live your life right and so when we talk about the inequalities and disparities and disability yeah we're always talking about the economic and the, the social disparities right and some people mm. accessibility isn't a question but accessibility for the vast majority of us who need accommodations is it's a question of time it's a question of of money of effort and how much we actually have to to put into all of this and like when companies make these tools when they make them at the outset 
with this idea of who it's supposed to be for or how it's, you know, quote unquote, supposed to be used. But they're not actually consulting the people who might actually use it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's another yeah. layer of accessibility. It's another layer of time for the person who then has to, you know, supposed to be using this thing has to hack it. Right. They have to spend time making it work how they need it to work. Yeah. Do you think as well, Damien, a lot of these tech companies, they start off with good intentions, a good idea with good intentions, and then it like spirals, the bill spirals out of control. And they're like, I, what, it's going to have to cost this much because otherwise we're going to bankrupt ourselves. Do you, do you, because th I think sometimes that that is the case. Unfortunately, I, like to think so yeah. anyway. I mean, the realities of cost and materiality, like how much things yeah. take. You know, how much effort, how much time, how much money, how much, you know, resources it takes to build something yeah. and to actually roll it out to a wide audience. Uh, those are real concerns uh, and they can mm. impact the bottom line of what gets built. But at the yeah. same time, I think that, uh, so uh, another friend of mine, Natalie Kane, came up with this term uh, called means well technology. And technology yeah. that means well, right? And so we have this means well <laughs> attitude, and these are, uh, and this is related to um, Liz Jackson's uh, disability dongle, and like this notion of like, oh, this is this is a thing that disabled people will find very useful, and you know, it'll it'll help transform people's lives, and you know, it'll it'll make things so much easier, and it's all of these these very good intentions, but through the gradual shaving down and attrition of, of cost of of going back and forth on trying to get design specifications right or mm. uh just by the the dint of not really understanding what it means to live life in that particular way that you're trying to build a technology for that technology mm. becomes uh superfluous it becomes yeah. in a very real way it's, it's just this little bit of gadgetry that doesn't yes. actually end up doing anything for anyone or is completely inaccessible to the people that it could do something for. Yeah. And, and I guess it boils down to the fact that disabled people were not involved in the development creation ideas behind I was just thinking that. I mean, a lot of disabled people can be very resourceful and when they're presented with a problem, they go, have you tried that? Have you tried like this? And they go, people go, no. And then they try the suggestion that we and offer then, and it works. And you're like, oh, there you go. And, and, you know, it's the people, you know, what, what Damien was talking about with kind of means well it's yep. the people going well this will help disabled people and just, again going back to disabled people being like but that's not what we want what we want right. is a ramp right just um, need a ramp don't need <laughs> please yeah. don't put me on a roller coaster to get me up that staircase Precisely, it's you know? fine I, I saw the, a picture of the um what, what are often called stramps you know, like the stair ramp interwoven capabilities yeah. oh. and they look really cool like they have like they're just yeah. visually like very interesting looking but then if you think yeah. about actually trying to either take a wheelchair down them or take the stairs on them the idea of it is just so disorienting <laughs> i can imagine that something like that for both me and you alice would be an absolute nightmare because you're I having to work out where the step is. Right. And well, I'm having to work out where and the I, ramp is. I can't, my dogs can't go on like escalators, you know, like right. mm -hmm. typical escalators. I've got the slide thing. Yes. I have to, I have to lift my dog. Yep. And my previous dog, she only weighed like <laughs> 20, some 20 kilos ish. So I could just about lift her. My new dog's really hench. She's just all <laughs> muscle. Nice. It's like, yeah. I, could, I couldn't carry that dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's covered like a backpack. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> get one of those toddler carriers um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. i just and I, I just need to start like benching stuff myself so i can just be like yeah i can do this so i'm just massive on top so i can carry my dog <laughs> yeah but, no, i mean but that's exactly it right and so like those those you get those problems of like this is yeah. supposed to be for everyone and yet it ends up being for no one right yes. <laughs> it helps because yeah. the actual like questions of whose needs are we trying to meet was like a projection it was an assumption mm. it was mm. not ever yes. actually like a direct engagement with the people in question and you feel like you can't really you you well you you feel like really mean when you're sort of pointing out what's wrong with it because you think 
these people I have don't. built this. <laughs> exactly, because you those are, people yeah. have built it without you consideration or consulting more, anybody. You are far more direct than I am, Alice. <laughs> I am like, well, thank you very much, but this has really like, slowed me down by 20 minutes. <laughs> no, but I think that's, that's exactly it, though. It's like you do, you like at a certain level, you feel like, okay, somebody had very good intentions and they poured their time and their effort and their considerable education and skills into this thing. However, they never <laughs> actually did the work that would have made this turn yeah. out well. So you can only <laughs> feel I so often, bad for them. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I often feel like that when you go into an accessible toilet and you think, what? why have you put that sink right where I need to turn right. to get onto the toilet? Right. What? Like where, the, the level, where was like the thought process? The angles and the height <laughs> levels on these are yeah. bad. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> this, this sink, I went in one, I went in one toilet, I think it was in a museum somewhere, and this sink was like, massively wide it was like huge and it was like a kitchen countertop and i'm like right okay how do i get on the actual toilet how can i hold on to the toilet the wall and sort of move my around with my carer in the toilet with me it was ridiculous did i tell you about the toilets in my local swimming pool the accessible toilets it's got like an accessible shower and everything in it Mm -hmm. um but it's got a sensor light that takes about four or five minutes to warm up Wonderful. So I just got changed in the dark. I'm in the accessible toilet, but I can't fucking see anything. <laughs> so I could just be in a regular toilet right. with my eyes with closed. With your eyes closed, exactly. If you yeah. have no idea. Like, <laughs> yeah, it makes fuck all difference. Like, just yeah. like, who's, who's gone to the effort of being like, right, we're going to make sure we've got an accessible toilet and it's all fine for wheelchair users, but, <laughs> but you can't actually see what right. you're doing in Honestly, there? Honestly, my... My job, we we have surveyors that go out and uh, like review venues, and so we basically we don't tell you whether it's good access or bad access. We tell you what you've got when you get there, and you make yeah. the decision yeah. yourself. And the amount of like <laughs> every time I see this one person at work, he tells me about these toilets, and he goes, "What's the toilets like here, Luce? Did, did you manage? Do, do I need to go and have a word like this?" And he was telling me that he went to a venue somewhere i can't remember where exactly where it was but um he said uh, he said to the the people that were in this like office <laughs> where's the disabled toilet and they went oh it's there and it's just there and he op- first of all he opened it and there was all sorts of paraphernalia in the toilet and he was like well first of all you need to take that out really because you know, it's got a usable space <laughs> yeah yeah and then he was looking at the toilet and he went you do realize that this toilet is not plumbed into anything it's just, it's basically just like against he goes where have you all been going to the toilet <laughs> yeah he said you could move it with your own hands oh that's horrifying <laughs> could you imagine could you like it's like when you go <laughs> it's like when you go to like a bathroom showroom and there's always a kid that's sort of sat on the toilet and wet themselves because they've just sat they've seen a toilet and gone oh i could go to the toilet i can't believe i've never told you that story alice unbelievable wow. i was open mouth we were at this like staff meeting and i was just wow open mouth he said it wasn't plumbed in i said what? <laughs> when did you realize he goes when i was looking down the toilet it was carpet this is, <laughs> carpet. This is a floor under there like that's a toilet on top of a floor okay okay <laughs> <laughs> what? Honestly, I don't know how many staff meetings they'd have in their office to go. Have we got an accessible toilet? Yeah, we've sorted it. Oh. Like, you haven't sorted it, Nigel. That's, you haven't sorted it. That's not sorted at all. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. Wow. Yeah. That's horrifying. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's not. There, there's no. There's no sort of thought. Thought for accessibility there at all. Is there? Stick a toilet in there, it'll be fine. Yeah, just... I mean, that is that is the most tick box exercise he's <laughs> ever done, <laughs> isn't it? It's like, yeah, we toilet. did it. There's a toilet. Yeah. <laughs> there is a toilet that you can get to with a wheelchair. Right. We have placed <laughs> it in a room that is wheelchair accessible. Is it connected to anything? Big enough to get it to you. That's not the question <laughs> no. you asked me. You asked no. me, was there a wheelchair accessible <laughs> toilet? 
That's the question yeah. I was asked. And that's the problem that I have solved. Like, what? I can't believe we've gone from talking about technology and AI to a toilet that's not plumbed in into a cupboard. Honestly, those was... things, those are all connected. Like, they're the, literally every part of it is, it is, unlike the toilet, those are all connected. <laughs> I, I, was, I was just about to kind of smoothly ease us into talk, you know, Damien wanted to talk a bit about how disabled people have been involved in tech development yes and now we're just on toilets no, so no, I think my, actually, my nice gentle segue this is perfect. Has this is, honestly this is a perfect segue <laughs> for me because one of the things that i have been working on recently that you know one of the groups i've been working with one of the things we do is we try to bring disabled consultants into a space not as like research subjects but as co-researchers and to okay. show research teams what that looks like and what it feels like to have disabled people on your research team and the kinds of interventions that can be done. And so we've been doing, um, you know, a couple of run throughs. We've done some work, um, you know, at, uh, at Virginia Tech with a, one of the robotics labs there. But like this can be a model for everything that is, you know, in any way, shape or form being built in technology, right? Like this can be about making sure that people have proper disability consultants on staff when they go to build a bathroom, right? Like, so you can actually have somebody that's not just like, you know, offhandedly taking a measurement of what the door width should be. Mm. not just offhandedly like oh we put a toilet in a room that's accessible to a wheelchair and that's the end of it but actually like checking <laughs> things and like actually asking does this actually function does it function <laughs> is the sink can in I the flush way this? is there a handrail like all of those things can be you know asked better by people who live that day to day than yeah. by the people who are just trying to like check a box and move on right mm. and so one of the things that we saw you know, we're doing really good work with people who have experience of working with technology, but haven't necessarily thought about it in the disability design space, right? And haven't thought about it in terms of accessibility and what it could be done. And so one of the things that we saw is that it wasn't just a matter of people going, oh, how could this be used for accessibility? But it was a matter of realizing that the technology that they had built could do different jobs better when disabled perspectives were included into how they were thinking about their design parameters and their operations. They were thinking about more and different situations and more and different possible uh, pitfalls, possible challenges, ways to overcome challenges that already existed with the technology that they were trying to use. And all of these things came specifically from the disabled consultants who had something that they were experiencing in their lives that were you know very relevant to the technology that they were helping to review those perspectives are not just an, an add-on an accessibility afterthought right they enrich mm. the actual building and the design yeah. of the technology mm. even when the technology is not specifically quote unquote accessibility technology yeah yeah and that's something i think it's that we can really kind of Understanding that, I guess, is something that helps to kind of really repair a lot of the long history of the way that people, disabled people especially, have been misused, uh, extracted from in the history of technology. Uh, Alice Wong talks about, you know, disabled people are designers. Uh, the, you know, in every step of the way, in every technology that a disabled person uses throughout the day, you have to design something, you have to do some piece of uh, you know, mod or repair to get it to work the way it's supposed to. It's really powerful when you put it like that, isn't it? It's a really powerful statement. And I like the old adage, you, d you design with disability in mind, yes. you every it benefits everybody. Absolutely. That's what I think so many people miss, that point yeah. of you know you, you you're helping mothers with prams yes. you're helping people who can't negotiate stairs yes. or just want a flat smooth surface yes. to get in and out of a building absolutely uh, and when you when you think about how in innovative disabled people are it makes me so proud to be 
a disabled person because you think you know so many people society writes disabled people off in so many areas right. of living right. you know they just think oh the poor disabled person yeah sort of sitting at home watching the telly all the time and they don't get out much and you, you think actually if you only you knew you know you wouldn't feel so sad it's right. it's we are inventors and we are innovative and we are we think outside the box because we have to right. every single day and that that is a strength that i think so many people miss yes completely and overlook absolutely it, you know our community our community it's one of those things where it's like if they do go past the the pity it goes into uh yeah. oh you're, you're such an inspiration you've overcome so much and uh -huh. it's like look at what you've done in spite of your disability and it's not in yeah. spite of right no. it's through it's with it's mm -hmm. it's because of it's mm -hmm. not an overcoming it's a it's a way of living it's a way of being and yeah. you know thinking of somebody as an inspiration as as an overcomer sets them apart it sets them as other right but recognizing that yeah. this is just another way to live your life this is another way to be another way to know and exist in the world it comes with knowledge yeah. and it comes with expertise it comes with a, a sense of how you can learn from and experience life and reality in a way that we can all gain from that weaves us together instead of setting us apart it ties different ways of being together. That's really yeah. beautiful, Damien. Really good. That's yeah. really great stuff. What a quote. I'm going to put that on my wall. I was going to say, <laughs> but that, that, that quote is inspirational. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. <laughs> <laughs> Must try harder. <laughs> uh, like, like, when I, like I, I said, you know, this ties to like a, a history of these kinds of problems though, right? Like, so you, you've got disabled people who work to, you know, live their lives and, and make the tools that they need or, or mod the tools that we need in order to live. Right. But yeah. like, there's also the people who are like looking at disabled people and going, I think I know what that's about, right? Like, that's another thing that we've kind of referenced a bunch of times. Like, I think I know mm -hmm. what they need. I think I know what it's like to be like that. I think I, I think I can solve or fix that. <laughs> and that's mm -hmm. like, like that kind of undercurrent is like old, old, old. Like it, it, it yeah. has existed in how people think about disability for a very, very long time. But like yeah. one of the weird places that it shows up, like we're looking currently at a whole new crop of like human-centered space exploration right now right there's a whole bunch of missions to the moon and people are talking about missions to mars and people are doing you know more business to the international space station we've just had in 2020 20 no 2021 uh the first crop of uh disabled known disabled astronauts and space explorers go to space yeah yeah uh, that's cool i didn't know that yeah so uh one was uh hayley arsenault and hayley arsenault is a pediatric bone cancer survivor with a prosthetic i believe hip replacement okay yeah i believe it's a, a hip replacement i might be wrong that might be uh might mm -hmm. be a lower limb but um she's got a prosthetic she's a bone cancer survivor and she is the first known disabled person to go to space. That's incredible. That's really incredible. Like, going to space is just, like, I cannot get my head around no, that. No, I it's would, I would be, <laughs> and I would the, in a constant state of panic. But, and the, the, the skills that you need to be an astronaut, like, like, me and you, like, you know, th these sacks of potatoes over here, Luce, we got no fucking chance. <laughs> no, exactly. Like, <laughs> but, you know, you're, you're, it's the the most kind of elite that you can be. Oh, like, yeah, you have to just proper be superhuman. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. To go into space. They don't just let any fucker do that. But that's, no. that's exactly <laughs> and, uh, the thing, right? We have this yeah. idea about what it means to go to space and what it means to be the kind of person who gets to go to space. You mm. have to be superhuman. You've got to have the quote-unquote right stuff, right? Like mm. that idea mm. of an astronaut is having, mm. like they check all the boxes. They're like, they're physically fit. They're really smart. They're 
ridiculously good looking they got a strong jawline like all of those like astronaut <laughs> stuff right <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah but like when we look at the history of space travel the human yes. exploration of space one of the very first papers like public papers by scientists thinking about what it would mean for human beings to go to space was written in 1960 this is written by a guy named Manfred E. Kleins and Nathan S. Klein. They were a team. Um, they had done a bunch of research prior to this, uh, working on uh, various psychiatric treatments. Uh, one of them was a musicologist at one point. A lot of very diverse interests. I was going to say, not what you would expect for somebody to be like, hey, I'm going to write about space. Right. Yeah, it's not like Brian May. Right. <laughs> and so you get these guys and they're talking about this paper, right? And, and, and this, this, this is a, the journal Astronautics. Um, it is, it's called Cyborgs in Space. Right. And it is the first. It sounds. It's, it's, it sounds yeah. like a like a piece of like fantasy fiction right. that they've written, yeah, and they've just like sent it to the, the wrong publisher. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but no, I'm terribly sorry. No, it's like, I got no. the email address wrong. This is ex- <laughs> but this is exactly it, right? This is the first known use of the word cyborg. Yeah. Oh, wow. And cyborgs in space, 1960, specifically talks about that if human beings are going to go to space. What's going to need to happen for human beings to survive the rigors of space, zero gravity, no air, lightless environment, radiation changes that we're not aware of. All of these things are going to require massive changes to the human body. They're going to cause massive changes to the human body, but they're going to require us to take steps to adapt to those changes. We're going to have to build autonomic systems artificial autonomic regulated systems that mm. we can use to chemically regulate our bodies to adapt to space we will have to become cybernetic organisms cyborgs ah. so i guess instead of using a suit to protect you out there and it it's making you the suit exactly i guess what they had in their mind. idea yeah, was that there would bit. be a system of chemical regulators that would be directly implanted and integrated with humans that would allow them to change the nature of their biochemical you know makeup in order to survive what space does to you because space does a lot of messed up stuff to you <laughs> yeah. have you seen the martian <laughs> right it's it's dark it is it can get pretty bleak and it actually kind of gets oh yeah we all, we all saw how bad sandra bullock was getting on up there <laughs> fucking hell love she's just floating around <laughs> just like, in circles having a but like you know low light environment has direct effect on yeah. mood long-term mood destabilization Mm -hmm. and depression is a thing that you have to account for in long space trips um zero g your uh metabolism doesn't work the same as you think it does like the majority of your food processing is in some large way dependent on does that mean like complete heartburn all of the time because i don't think i could that's one of the things that can happen it's one yeah, of the no. things that you can deal with, like acid reflux at a higher rate, um, mm. heartburn. You can deal with um, things not digesting properly. Um, to get back to our <laughs> toilet conversation, you know, you have to have very special. Oh, that, that fucker's got to be plumbed in properly. <laughs> and that's exactly it, because you have to have a toilet set up that actually, like, pulls things it. away from yeah. you because otherwise yeah, yeah, yeah. you just have stuff kind of floating Whoa. around like there's a reason that astronaut suits are self-contained in the way that they are yeah <laughs> um because oh. those suits oh. and so in cyborgs in space let's get back to that for a second <laughs> yeah, yeah so i've decided i don't want to go to space it's fine <laughs> yeah i was gonna say tippy can keep it there's a little yeah. right <laughs> so in cyborgs in space like this chemical regulation process is meant to like to help a human body acclimate to all of those kinds of things so that they're, they're well, going like, to chemically stop you from pooping or, or to change how you bought your body produces and processes waste oh no and so could you imagine like you'd eventually get a bad breath wouldn't you oh absolutely like it, like it changes everything about <laughs> the internal system of the human being 
and that's what they were envisioning would be necessary for human beings to go to space. Now we've mm. done a bunch of various workarounds and I'll get to some of how those workarounds came up in a second. Cause that's kind of pertinent too. But the, mm. the idea of chemically regulating and adapting these systems wasn't out of nowhere. Like we were saying, like, it's kind of like, Oh, it's, isn't it kind of weird that it, like this musicologist and uh, these psychiatrists did this work. I left that deliberately vague. Yeah. Because they weren't just any old psychiatrists. <laughs> they were actually the original developers of antidepressants. Wow. No way. They had That's so interesting. the historical background of working on external chemical regulators to help people adapt uh... and change their internal neurochemistry. As you were saying it, I was like... This sounds weirdly like how antidepressants work. Isn't that interesting? Yes, in fact, it is. That is exactly <laughs> how antidepressants work. And so wow. when they were thinking about what a human being would need to do to go to space, they were already thinking, and they were already thinking about this context mm. of disability, of, of neurodiversity, of, mm. of the, the alteration and the intentional adaptation of, through technology, the use of technology to adapt ourselves to a world an environment that will not adapt itself to us it's something and we touched briefly on this when we were talking to rachel in the first episode um about kind of prosthetics and the development of prosthetics you don't think of medication as a technology no but actually in the same way that uh with rachel we talked about spectacles yes you know yes. one doesn't Dentures. think of as, as stuff like yeah as as mm. a technology but actually they are just be, but they've just become so widely used and diverse yeah. and sort of diversely used that yeah. it's it's not we've kind of decategorized them exactly but, no it's, it's fast it's fascinating there's this um within the philosophy of technology there's this uh, process that happens um it's called the transparency of a tool or transparency of a technology and it's a situation in which uh, a piece of technology becomes transparent to us when we are so accustomed to its functioning, when we are so accustomed mm -hmm. to its presence, that it no longer exists as itself. It's just assumed and taken for granted. Mm -hmm. And the transparency of a tool means that it's functioning correctly, right? It's so yeah. transparent. It's so just a, a part of our everyday lives that it's just there and it just works. Mm -hmm. However, mm -hmm. the downsides to the transparency of technology means that we stop to, you know, we stop thinking about what it means to maintain that technology. We stop thinking mm -hmm. about what it takes to have the infrastructure to provide that technology. Um, in 2016, I was in Geneva, Geneva, Switzerland for a bicentennial Frankenstein uh, symposium and right. one of i was riding in from the airport and one of my uh co-panelists was was with me on the on the trip and on the trip their glasses broke and they knew they were going to have to try to find an optometrist mm. in geneva Mm. Yeah. to fill their prescription and get a new pair of glasses. <laughs> yeah. And so yeah. this literal question of like, how does optometry as a system, as a tool, as a set of technologies, function within society mm. in a way that will allow for this person mm. across the ocean from home <laughs> to get this thing that they need in a time frame that they need it and it, it's even sort of boiling it down to an almost um an example i'm going to give makes it sound really terrible that i'm about to describe it as ignorance but an, almost a level of ignorance around just how basic and 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 taken for granted things have become it it makes me think about my husband is a wears contact lenses mm. and um has glasses and we've had a couple of times where um it's like a six hour drive from his dad's mm. and back like to our house um and we've had several times where it's been getting on for midnight and he's been driving for four and a half hours and his contact lenses have dried out Ooh. and my question is always 
have you got a pair of glasses with you? And he's like, yeah. why, would I, why would I bring glasses? Because he takes his contact lenses out. He puts his contact lens, new ones in in the morning. Just Keep doesn't... a pair of glasses Be- in the car. Because, yes. Because you yes. need lenses <laughs> to allow you to see. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Whether they yeah. go we into this your eyes or onto them, you need the lenses. <laughs> the joke is always, it's fine, I'll steer and my guide dog can sit on my lap and uh, and just do the guiding from there. Yeah. We'll drive. Do some nudging directions and uh, make sure we're going in the right way. It'll be fine. <gasps> yeah, my feet can touch the pedals. The dog can use the gear stick. It'll be fine. Yeah, it'll be fine. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. But no, so the, like that, that question of, of how we think about what happens when a piece of technology uh, stops being thought of as a technology, right? And it doesn't mm-hmm. get categorized in the way of, you know, that we think of other technologies. And that, like that can happen through long-term use, but it can happen in advance, right? Like the way that we think about technological systems, you know, when we think about the internet yes. or social media, thinking of those as technologies like they're not technologies like a pair of glasses is a technology and there's not one single site of like where that thing exists as a as an artifact you know, mm-hmm. glasses are a technology they are an artifact but they have a whole host of like structures that support them and make them possible there's a whole uh, lineage of, of education that goes into like the the history of optometry of how we grind lenses of how we learn how to bend glass in just the right way to make different strengths of mm. vision right like like this has a a deep and very intricate past that's bundled up in being able to go down to the shop in any strip mall and get yourself a pair of glasses Mm-hmm. Yeah, like yeah, it'll cost you a couple hundred dollars, but it'll happen in a couple of days, and it's actually kind yeah, of exactly. a miracle, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Like it's yeah, it's yeah, kind yeah. of ridiculous. Yeah. Go back a few hundred years, and you've got like you know bottle bottom right. sort of glasses or no glasses at right. all, and you think, yeah, okay, <laughs> we are quite technology technological advanced. I can't say it, yeah. but you know what I mean. I it's like we've come a long way. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. And so, like, <laughs> on the other side of that, though, you have social media, which is just the distributed infrastructure of the thing yeah without the artifact at its forefront right like we each have our own instance of a window that we go to to get to tiktok or to get to to facebook or instagram or you know to to get on whatever apps we're using but those are not the they're not a thing they're not an artifact in and of themselves they are a window onto the system yeah that undergirds the the experience and the relationship that is that technology this chat has been absolutely fascinating damien um i've really like got a i lot feel like that. we've covered a lot of we've covered a lot of ground you know. <laughs> and a lot of a lot of really strange things have strange come up, but, but all very interconnected <laughs> <laughs> absolutely i don't know how you've done it damien you're an expert in a uh, podcast structure <laughs> let's take this random conversation and bring it full circle uh no i it's really hope you've enjoyed it as much as <laughs> <laughs> fabulous you can come and join our team whenever you like <laughs> uh, uh, no I hope you've enjoyed it as much of, as we have I very much have it's been it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you oh but do before we go there was one thing yeah. that I wanted to, to mention I said that I was going yeah. to talk about a, another thing about the extraction of um, disabled people's experiences um, mm. there's the fact that like the entire structure of how we think about um prepping for zero g the the prep for for what it means to be uh weightless and for what that can do to your sense of equilibrium that comes Mm -hmm. directly from data that was gathered off of the testing of these systems on deaf people I knew you were going to say something like that. I knew it. I could feel it. Yep. And so the Gallaudet <laughs> 11, Gallaudet University in Washington, D.C. is a primarily deaf and hard of hearing university. Um, and that is the primary you know, population of that university. And in yeah. the 60s, the Gallaudet 11 were 11 congenitally deaf men. And the form of their deafness meant that they did not have inner ear equilibrium difficulties. 
that vertigo was not something that they would suffer from. The disequilibrium was not something they would suffer from in the same way. So high stress, multi-G to zero-G, that wouldn't bother them in the same way as it does for people who don't have that same inner ear setup. And so they were tested and they were put through the paces. They were put through astronaut training. They went through the entirety of what astronaut training would be. And then the data that was gathered on their experiences was used to create tools and systems. It was used to create technologies that would help astronauts, hearing astronauts, go to space and not suffer the effects of high and zero-G stresses as much. However, God, that's so interesting. I don't know whether that is really cool or like makes me really cross. I don't know. Both. Like, <laughs> For me, it is yeah, all yeah, yeah. of it those is. things. Yeah. Because <laughs> at present, though we have had, uh, uh, previously mentioned Haley Arsenault, our amputee astronaut, though we have had yeah. uh, Sherry Wells Jensen, who wrote The Case for Disabled Astronauts, is one of the best pieces on all of this conversation um she is blind uh she has gone on a zero g a long-term flight um we have had a couple of calls for disabled astronauts we still haven't had a deaf astronaut that's see that's 60 years on (laughs) yeah and we still haven't and i don't know why i don't know why either because it's just that they can't here right (laughs) and you know what i mean it's not like it's not like it affects any of their physical right that's exactly it but think about it it's not just that it's like a it's not just a why not it's a no really why have we not done this specifically yeah because if you think about what space and what you know being in space means and what it needs oftentimes um a lot of times in space you're on a spacewalk or you're doing uh something on another side of uh, a piece of you know uh, divider that you know blocks sound you have to communicate yeah. through digital audio communicated through a comm yeah. system and if that yeah. comm system goes out you yeah. have to communicate with sign language yeah you have to use hand <laughs> signals to communicate who has a full repertoire of hand signals? <laughs> In fact, a this fuller repertoire of hand signals. This is going to keep me all, all night, Damien. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be wide awake thinking, why haven't deaf people gone to space? <laughs> it does. It, if you I said do... change.org positions, <laughs> me. <laughs> I do think that there is definitely a joke in there somewhere about how in space nobody can hear you scream because they're all deaf they're all deaf (laughs) so so that's why nobody can hear you scream that's why it should be like yeah and like ashley shu um she points out a lot of times you know when when thinking about space stuff as well like when you think about who like disabled people in space think about what you have to do to to move in zero gravity you know you have to push your body off of surfaces you have to make quick turns and changes you have to you know possibly use your arm to turn a corner um who has experience with that kind of mobility yeah (laughs) i'm still not going to space david you would be perfectly (laughs) suited to do so you have the relevant experience (laughs) that would allow you to move in space in a way that would be with much more facility than a lot of guys that got to train for years to kind of get it (laughs) it just makes me laugh if you see an article with me floating around in space you'll be like yes she's done it (laughs) Yes, the sack well, of potatoes uh, in the air. We've got we've got pictures of you doing that skydive. We'll just uh, Photoshop it in the middle of space. We'll put you in a space station. It'll be great. <laughs> yeah, better Photoshop. We'll be fine. Wheelchair yeah. users have those skills in abundance already. They already know what that Brilliant. kind of movement is like. And yet, fantastic, David. <laughs> This has been such a great conversation. We've gone from the sublime to the ridiculous. Yeah, I feel like I've learned something. It's brilliant. <laughs> That's my goal. Uh, that is that is the, the uh, of my pedagogical strategy, like in a nutshell. Like that is exactly it. <laughs> that, uh, wonderful. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You're, you're like Alice said. I think your students must love you. It's, it's I, been a delight I to hope sit so. and listen to you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Y'all. Uh, yeah, it's so, great. Other than um at the front of a lecture theatre where can people find you damien 
Um, is there anything on socials or anything you'd like to share? I am uh, I'm online uh, in a number of places. You can find me the most easily and get access to the majority of those places at um, a future worth thinking um, That is my, my personal website and it's got links to many of my papers, um, articles that I've published, interviews like this one. Um, it's got you know just random ruminations and thoughts uh, from various other perspectives mm-hmm. on this as well so yeah that's the easiest place to find me beautiful yeah, we'll, we'll make sure that we put all the links and everything to everything we've talked about and whatnot where people can find you on the show notes of this episode on our website so people will be able to find you really easily thank you so much uh, thank you so much for joining us david if you're ever in england and fancy a pint in a pub then uh give us a shout because i'll i'll quite happily sit listen to you all evening absolutely would love to do so absolutely whether you like it or not i'll be there going yeah tell me some more (laughs) happy to do it happy to do it (laughs) brilliant this has been a fantastic Uh, great stuff thank you thank you thank you uh if you enjoyed this episode you can leave us a review on apple podcasts and you can uh rate us across most of the social media platforms um and please also share the show with your friends because it's a really good way of helping us uh build our listenership i think that's everything lucy i think so this i is, think so this is a wrap on the technology series i'm gonna go and lie down in a dark room <laughs> <laughs> and we will see all of you in a couple of weeks we'll see you then bye 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 don't wake tora thanks for listening to the label podcast if you like the show you can rate review and subscribe and you can follow us on social media at labeled pod this episode was edited by adam hall our music was by Maisie Crunden, and we'd like to thank the rest of the team involved. <laughs>